Welcome everyone to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Simon, Simon Norrie um, for the first in a two-part mini-series which will focus on the fundamental learnings to be taken from the COVID-19 disruption. So Simon, welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, we'll do it. And uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you to the Labour Giants for inviting me along to this. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, so in terms of myself, I'm one of the co-founders of Custerian. Uh, we set out on a principle of uh, making work better. Um, we were primarily focused on aligning the purpose, why things exist, with the outcomes they're trying to create. But our real focus is on about bringing colleagues into change. And in that extent, one of my roles within Custerian is all about why people do stuff. So that's sort of my role within Custerian and what Custerian's about. Perfect. Thanks, Simon. So should we want to jump straight in with your first question from me? Yeah, so, on. <laughs> so one of the things um, you ask organisations you work with is what's your purpose? So what do you expect to hear from this and, and do organisations actually get that? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it varies quite a lot. What I'd like people to talk to us about, and, and this feels a little bit precious, we're all guilty of not being able to do this ourselves, mm-hmm. myself on occasion, about Kostiran, I have to say. What you'd like them to be able to do is clearly state what's unique and different about themselves uh, and how they uh, drive and create value. And it's that sort of emotion and functional component of things. That's what you'd like them to be able to say. And this gets various described by other people, as Simon Sinek's This World, as our why or things. Uh, I'm very interested in just going, look, can you just tell me what's unique and different about you and how you create value. The reality is quite a lot of them uh, talk about the functional aspects of it more than the emotional aspects of it. And if there is a split, the more senior you become, the more you talk about money and profit and the more of a colleague level you are, the more you talk about the sort of doing good and working well with colleagues. Yeah, interesting. I think, like you say, I think it's split between those levels of the business, I guess, for how people think on it really, I guess. Um, and I think you talk about engaging employees through purpose. Um, so we'd really like you to expand on that a little bit for our listeners, if possible, please. Yeah, and I think from my point of view, there's not that many people, this is going to sound like heresy, but there's not that many people come to work really to help generate profit for the business. They come for other reasons. They come to feel better about themselves. They come for the things that when we get into talking about COVID that will be missing there, but the banter. Uh, to work with people that they like, to work with some people who perhaps they don't like but learn from. But actually one of the things that can help them perform better in their roles is to understand what it is that they can do for the business that will make the business more sustainable and therefore they can have a better role at that business for longer. And that's all about, well, what is the purpose of the business and do I understand it in a way that I can contribute to it? And I think when we talk about repurposing businesses for profit, and there is always a commercial view on it, the purpose element of it is the bit that helps colleagues understand what they can do to make the business work better. And I think that's why we say it's a really important component of what you do and shouldn't be in a mugs and T-shirts level, which is the stuff we say, our strategy this year is to be the world's best app. Thanks very much. And everybody walks out of the room and then they go, well, what can I do to do that? And it's probably the answering that question is the important bit. What can I do to help the company do what it needs to do that makes me feel better about myself? And I guess it's all those pieces then fitting together into the bigger picture, isn't it? So it's kind of all those bits of purpose, I guess, fit together then. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I suppose that links really well into kind of the conversation around communication. And I think that's something that's been really important during the COVID-19 pandemic that we've obviously gone through this year. And when we kind of work with clients on OKRs, one of the big kind of key things that we find success is the checking kind of reflection process. And whether that's on like a daily or a weekly basis, um, is that kind of something you'd advocate around the kind of communication thing for when people are working in businesses to know what their purpose is? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that really attracts me to OKRs and the system of it. And when I was first introduced to it, when I was chatting to Roger on it, to me, there's two components on it, which is one, can you take a strategy and explain it to me in a way that I understand it and attach some sort of level of metrics to it so that I understand whether I'm progressing or not? So that's a really important component. And we spend quite a lot of our lives trying to get that done from a human point of view. But the other one comes back to something which has been present throughout my days as a data marketeer. I was speaking to my 20-year-old daughter who's trying to arrange funds about this. It's recency, frequency, and value of contact. You need to speak people often enough. They need to be spoken to recently enough, and they need to understand the value of that conversation. So all this thing about daily check-ins and understanding what I can do to contribute and understand whether I've done something to contribute is fundamentally important because if you don't do it, they will fill the gaps themselves. They will go away and start doing things, and those things may or may not be aligned to the purpose of the organisation, and they may or may not contribute to that business being able to survive and act sustainably. And that's one of the big things that I think we'll come on to talk about is what's happening in this COVID world where we've taken all these organisations and exploded everybody into home working. So yeah. it's like the long answer there, I'm afraid. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. And you kind of led us into the next question really well. So we obviously know without doubt COVID has caused, caused huge disruption this year and will continue to do so, we would imagine, into 2021 as well. Um, and do you feel organisations have become detached from the human aspect or and are they just looking at things from a numbers point of view in your kind of perspective, I guess? Yeah, and I, and I think that one, and again, I'm, because I'm a marketing background, I'm very prone to putting things top right. So I speak to things in extreme. There are all sorts of companies at different levels on this. But I think in general, there's been quite a lot of conversation corporately in the UK and other cultures, which is very numbers based. And when you look at a lot of the measurements and metrics, it's about performance. We work a lot around contact centres or around logistics and a lot around financial services. You're not really measuring people's emotional happiness. You're not really measuring whether they feel they can contribute. You're measuring what the average handle time was. You're measuring what the one and done time was. You're measuring what the sort of liquidity ratios are. And I think that's a conversation which doesn't usually give a lot of space the things about, yeah, but do people feel happy? Do they feel they can contribute? And have we got some understanding of whether we're achieving our purpose or not? You sort of look at the bottom of it. How efficient is that working without really being able to connect it to the top? And I think that's going to only have got worse as COVID's gone on because people used to, if they were getting the human component, they used to get it out of proximity. You know, they were in with their teams. Now their teams are not there. So how are they filling that void? And I think that's a really interesting one that I think we're starting to think and talk about. I'm not sure we've got any hard and fast answers for a moment, but a really interesting question in there somewhere, I think. So. No, I think it, I think we've all kind of had major learnings this year. And I think, like you say, I think we think Zoom's a way of seeing people, but it's not a way of seeing people in the same way as being in the office. So I think that's really interesting, like you say. Um, so just to touch on that, but really, I suppose, and I move back to the office for a lot of companies, we would imagine at the start of kind of 2021 or hopefully. So how do you feel organisations will handle it, if at all, they'll handle it away back to the office and a life in the office? 
Well, I would hope, although there is a little bit, this feels like a segue, but it's not. There's a little bit with all the announcement of the viruses, uh, uh, the, sorry, the vaccines that are coming out now. She even Dolly Parton was involved in, which is great. <laughs> when you look at this, I think there might almost be a little bit of a run from one side of the ship to the other side of the ship, if we're not careful. Uh, and what I'm really concerned about, from my point of view, is everybody went home because they had to, which is one of the phrases I think we've discussed when we've chatted in the past. Mm. Uh, coming back to the office should be a want to. And there will be some element of office work that needs to be taken part. The figures that we've seen, 7 to 12% of people only enjoy working permanently from home, disregard whether they can or they can't. So I would hope that what people do do is they don't treat it as a, let's all flip back to going back to what we know, because that's the bit that we understand. So what we'll do is we'll pull people back into the office. We control them, we can see them, and we can engage with them. I hope what they do do is start now thinking about how that is going to work. Uh, and there are some signs of this. I think Deloitte have announced, it might be the Manchester or London office, that they've partnered with WeWorks to basically open a co-share space in there as well because they don't think they'll be bringing all of the staff back. But they're probably an organisation that was used to homeworking before. So what has happened, I think, is everything happened because it had to and happened at pace. Perhaps now what we need to do is take some time about thinking about how we want to bring people back. I just worry that within that there's a lot of companies that are under large amounts of financial duress. Uh, and the, one of the things they want to do is just pull everybody back into the office. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think, like you say, we were forced with this change previously. I know one of the things that you've said to me in the past is now it's like, let's make a decision on the change that we make in the future and bring employees along on that journey rather than force change to them. It's kind of do change with them. So I think that's really important. Um so in terms of OKRs, in your opinion, how do you see OKRs support? And I suppose we see it as a long-standing shift to more remote working. So it's how do you see those supporting that process in the future, really? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, the bit that was missing, we talked about this at the top, really, was people quite often have a strategy that they either keep secret or is financial. And if the issue it they talk, I mean, I've been at endless management meetings when I worked within corporate environments, and there was very little that talked about the purpose of the organisation. There was very little that talked about where we're trying to go. I think part of that is because people didn't really set it out the stall very well, didn't believe in it, or thought they needed to keep it secret. So what they did talk about was all the financial measures and metrics mm. and all of the sort of those types of MI and type information things. And, you know, have we got good market share and have we got... I think for me, the, the, the thing that OKRs can do is help to clarify and make people go, look, if we're going to deliver this purpose, what are the key stages that are involved? What are the things that we need to do as part of that? And then can we measure and track those? And those are things that should be eminently shareable. And they give people a sense of, well, what's the wider purpose of this business? Not that I'm just trying to improve average handling time, but I'm trying to grow and disrupt BPO organisations. Not that I'm trying to just sort of deliver a financial services metric, but I'm trying to make banking easier for people who are... It's trying to create frameworks that people can understand and engage with more. And obviously, clearly... A lot of that happens through conversations with managers at the moment. It doesn't happen through a framework uh, and it doesn't happen through a structured measurement system. It just happens because the manager says, oh, well, I think what we're trying to do is grow and disrupt a marketplace. So I think what we should do is, by the way, improve your average handle time. So I think OKRs can give a very, very good landscape for people who usually will be more engaged than people think. And that's the other thing. I think people think colleagues don't want to understand what the purpose of the organisation is, don't want to know what they can contribute and don't know whether they're doing well. 
Uh, there is a little bit that thinks sometimes boards don't release this because it really lays bare uh, how a board's doing. You might argue there's a thought in there. Well, but that's how I see OKRs can work in this framework. So. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs. Helps your team achieve their objectives and key results, helps them get aligned, and it helps them stay engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're using OKRs properly, and you're not going to have a maximum impact with them. But with Koan, you can scale your OKRs right across your entire company, keeping your team super motivated and moving everybody in the right direction. Roger, what's one of your favourite features about Koan? So the thing that I really love about Koan and have done ever since uh, I first saw it was how it really puts the conversation around OKRs at the heart of the system and it really helps stimulate that, which obviously brings really good collaboration. You know, they've got this uh, reflections feature which uh, helps uh, individuals really prepare for the uh, the team conversation which is going to come up where the collaboration is going to take place so I, 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 that would definitely be the thing for me which is the the killer feature of the system great and I suppose one thing I wanted to just pick up on from what you've just kind of said there is around the purpose and like you say people generally do know what their purpose is but in terms of working remotely do you think the communication element between the kind of maybe hierarchies of companies and people knowing where their employer's understanding is, is important. So I guess when someone's working in the office, they can quite easily just speak to them and say like, kind of, do you know, understand this? Like you say, they speak to managers, they have those conversations. Whereas in a remote working space, people just generally have their head down a little bit more. So I guess is that understanding of people's own understanding of the purpose of the business a little bit lost is what I'm trying to put to, I guess. Yeah, there's probably very few situations where it wouldn't be really, would it? Because Mm. if you think that, and we're painting a sort of quite a bad picture of the way in which corporates can work. There are others, obviously, that's at the other end of the scale. But you think a lot of people get a sense of what the community is and what the purpose of the organisation is by engaging with the colleagues in a business. As soon as they become remote, they get detached from that. You've then got issues, right, so I'm detached from that. So all the networks I've got that would give me a view of it, right or wrong. So they're going to hunt around for other things to try and replace it. And a lot of companies are not that great at communications before this happened. You know, there's never enough communication in an organisation. So now they look at, well, how can I communicate and how can I actually encourage people and give them a better sense of direction? And I'm not sure I've seen many signs of people using Zoom and other things to try and do that yet. There are some that are happening. I've heard one chief executive spent an entire week in a series of Zoom calls running across as a sort of annual launch. But, yeah, I think the issue we've got with it is how do I replace what was an informal you know, a network of conversations that occurred with something where they're just now virtualized and then they are in isolation. When that Zoom call goes off, you know, other than sort of little informal WhatsApp groups that are floating around, or if you put something in like Facebook Workplace, what are they doing to try and give them a sense that they are still part of that wider team and that wider team has a purpose? And are they actually going away from some of those calls and actually being more worried about some of the bigger commercial issues they're facing, like I've got a massive office and I'm wondering what I'm going to do with it. So. Yeah, almost like their priorities have been shifted to think elsewhere. Um, yeah. Interesting. So um, I just want to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier about kind of the change and the challenge that organisations have got about a return to work. So the choice they ultimately have now in the next kind of few months and years to kind of what that office space looks like. I suppose, so what do you see these challenges looking like and how do you think they'll manifest as kind of what we want to put to you? 
Yeah, well, I, I'm a massive advocate of something. It's not, this is not my phrase, by the way, or if it is, I'll claim it immediately. <laughs> but the sort of whole theory of hub and spoke. And hub and spoke is basically a flexible working environment, which will have some level of office, but it's got some level of home. And it might have some people who permanently work at home, some people work permanently in the office, and some people who do a mixture of it. If you look at the way we're trying to live our lives, and if you look at the pressures on the infrastructures we've got, and you look at the positive experiences we got at the start of COVID, it's quite clear that offering people a choice in the way they work is probably going to be the best way to try and do things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that when you look at what's going to happen is people should probably try and think about that now. So what they don't do is end up just having a sort of voting system for who wants to do what. Because there's already indications, and I mentioned one stat at the start, there are only a very small percentage of people who will genuinely enjoy and function well working at home all of the time. So clearly it only works for 7 to 12% of colleagues. But there's also this thing that when you start to look at the way in which people do interact, there's some evidence that coming out, attention spans drop massively on Zoom calls, 25 minutes, probably why podcasts and other things <laughs> are shortening themselves down to 20 minutes, quite rightly. But it's the type of problem they can solve as well. You're much better, at, and there's a professor at Warwick University talks about this, critical problems where the answer is unknown by all parties and much better solved in a room with people physically. Once you've got the problem, exploring them and coming back with answers can be done remotely. Mm. So you shouldn't just be thinking about who wants to work in ways. You should probably be thinking about what is the type of work that I want to do. So would offices become more collaboration spaces? Would they become more idea exchange spaces rather than places where you just sit and work all day? So those types of considerations, I think, should start to form the thinking for people about what is my model going forward. And then you get straight into the bits that sit underneath that. We're under a massive global pressure in terms of sustainability. We've got greenhouse gases and global warming. We're going to, we, this all could work perfectly well together if we can build back in a more sustainable way for everybody, which would actually satisfy people, I think, in terms of purpose and profit for a lot of organisations, if they can get a way of working that suits them better. Just in touching on that, I suppose, one thing, um, do you see with this kind of remote looking forward, do you see businesses working internationally more often? Do you see them bringing in specialists in areas more often and that kind of thing? Because it's ultimately easier to do rather than having to pay expenses to fly someone in from, say, the States or Australia, et cetera. Yeah, and that was a really interesting point that we were chatting with somebody else a few days about uh, ago. You, you sort of went, when you look at why meetings last as long as they last, and you look at the behavioural aspect, part of it is if you've driven a long way for a meeting, or even if you've travelled between office blocks or floors, it's a bit like, well, we said it was going to last an hour, so it's going to last an hour. You know, actually, but the productivity of it might be 15 minutes, but then it's the point you just make, you go, but getting the right people in the room often is a function of logistics rather than the right skill set. Uh, and there's some work that's been done around the types of people you need to bring together to solve problems may well not be located anywhere near each other. They may not even be in the same companies. So yes, I would hope that what we'll start to see is people coming together to collaborate around solving problems or creating outcomes, you know, diversely across companies, but in and out of companies. And that's this whole thing about saying, yeah, well, they might be sat in America now, but I might only need 20 minutes of the time. Mm. I wouldn't use them if they were going to have to get on a plane and fly over. Or if I was going to do, I'd make it part of a week's long seminar when they all have to come to talk to me. So I think that's a really interesting point and that will start to grow. 
it will give you a much wider pool of talent to pick from and you will be able to use it in different ways. And I'm not sure people have started to think about that as much as they can or perhaps should do currently. And I almost think it breaks down the barriers and it is kind of going off topic a little bit for us, but breaks down the barriers around kind of where you can apply for jobs as well. Because ultimately you could technically, if we're staying remote, apply for a job, obviously constraints of time zones and that kind of thing. But you could apply for jobs around the world anywhere effectively. So it kind of opens up a lot more opportunities for everyone, organizations and individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking to a company that's done somewhere, they're very large uh, global company. I can't mention who they are, but they were looking at some work where they're actually trying to across there. And I think they've got something like forty thousand employees. Might have more than forty thousand colleagues. But what they're trying to do is get something non-invasively and ethically, but a profiling thing that went: who are the best people to come and solve this problem? Yeah. Well, if you could take that and apply at a global level, then you might get a very different way of employing and engaging with people because it won't be based on the sort of I need to go to that company because they're in proximity it'll be I need to go and get that piece of talent to come and solve that problem for me here and now and exactly as you've just said there will be some people who want to be up at two o'clock in the morning uh, answers problems in other countries because it works for them you know so and I think that's an exciting part about what's coming it enables us to get at the right sort of talent in the right way. Yeah, and I think that's obviously looking at it from kind of a really big perspective, but kind of in terms of what we do at the Obri Giants, we obviously always advocate cross-functional OKRs. So bringing teams together and bringing the right people together rather than just saying, because you're in this team, you should have this OKR. It's like you say, bringing the right talent together to bring the outcome that you need in the future. So I think it's a really interesting point. And I think something we'll be chatting about long into 2021, I can imagine. Um, so something that I wanted to discuss with you today was obviously we we the reason for this podcast came about from the joint article that we wrote together kind of around disruption and obviously the, the landscape was COVID-19. And something that was mentioned in that article was that COVID has given us an opportunity for fundamental learnings to realign and focus on becoming more agile. And this kind of really ties in with the ethos that keeping alignment and transparency is key for an agile business to succeed. And that's obviously kind of where OKRs enters we spoke about. So in your opinion, um, and it's something we've touched on a little bit, but I just kind of want to refocus in on it. Um, how are OKRs beneficial in the face of disruption? And it might be COVID-19 disruption or it might be disruption in any kind of sense. So uh, I think what COVID-19 has been has been the ultimate burning platform that people have had to react to. But partly it's symptomatic of a growing level of disruption that companies have been struggling to respond to. Uh, and that's why when we started our, our journey, and I think started speaking to Roger more than 12 months ago, we're looking for things that help people make sense of things. So to come back to the what was it we thought that COVID's done and given it, the thing that things like OKRs do, they give a sense of what the North Star of an organisation is or what it is that we're trying to do. Right? They give us something that we can look at. And when you're in a disruptive marketplace, and you haven't got a sense of what you're trying to do, then actually what you do is you chuck mud at the wall. And there was a little bit of this around some of the original iterations of Agile where people thought, well, this is just a nightmare because you'll Agile yourself off a cliff. There has never been a situation that we've been in in business where having a good sense of what it is you're trying to do, what the higher level of outcome, what that be, whether it's to conquest and disrupt a marketplace or deliver significant benefit for disadvantaged groups, to have some sense of what it is you want to do with the framework of how you're going to do it is the bedrock for what you're going to do. Because if you do that, then you can move quickly because you can very quickly, whether it's on or off that purpose, 
right? And that's that's the task. I think what's happened previously is we've had a lot of management cultures and businesses and, and behaviours. They've built up around a very risk-averse culture. I'm going to make some big IT decisions or big structural decisions. They're going to cost me a lot of money. And if I have to back out of them, it's going to be a nightmare and I'll probably lose my job. And what we've not managed to do is respond to the fact that the cost and capability of business and sports have changed enormously. We haven't been able to deliver an agile way of responding to it. And I think what COVID does is go, look, here's yet another opportunity. It's a massive disruption. It's chucked all the cards up in the air. But what's the big thing that people need to be able to do and to articulate clearly is what do we exist for and how are we going to get there against that bigger picture and plan to then enable people to work in a more agile and cross-functional and collaborative way of getting there. If they haven't got that clarity, they'll just come up with stuff to do. And I think a lot of our management approaches, practices and behaviours are based around managing people tightly in the absence of a clear sense of what it is we're trying to do. So it de-risks the whole business. So it's a really fundamental question in there somewhere. If I'm going to take advantage of the agility that we've got in this organisation, inherent in the colleagues, I need to give them a clear framework which explains the purpose of that organisation so they can work out whether they're delivering against it or not. So I think it's perfectly aligned uh, from my point of view. Great. And I think you like you that you so well put in that just kind of explain explanation there. I think almost this disruption is a perfect opportunity in some ways. And I know this year has been horrific and obviously really bad for a lot of organizations, but now is almost the time. Like you almost get this sense, especially in the UK with our second lockdown, it doesn't feel the same as the first lockdown did. And I think people's mindsets have very much changed to kind of how can we work through this rather than firefighting like the first lockdown maybe was. So I think that's very much kind of the force change and let's make the most of it and make the changes we want to make following this disruption. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the phrase we've talked about, you know, change you want to make rather than change you had to make. Uh, But there's a window for this again. I I do have a slight worry. We talked before this that because COVID, and just to echo your case, it's had terrible consequences for some people. We're talking about this purely through a business lens. Because COVID has chucked everything up in the air and has got people to realise how fast they can deliver massive and enormous change in organisations, uh, there is now the thing to go, right, so what do you want to do with that? And there is, But there is a worry in that, that the people who delivered that change may well not be the people who get tasked with bringing the businesses back to whatever normality is, because they were quite often the digital and disruption teams who are a different mindset and different capability to the BAU type teams. So I think that, and then the other one, which is, and I don't mean therefore we should offset it, we've now got a vaccine and people might go, brilliant, we can all go back to the way it was before, both socially and from a business point of view. So there's a window, there's a window to make people have a look and have a think about these things and work out what it is they want to do and take advantage of it. But it starts to me, or it centres fundamentally on engaging colleagues in the purposes of the organisation so that they can intuitively and inherently deliver outcomes that are more aligned to that purpose. And they need a sense and a framework and a guide for it. They can't just agile themselves all over the place, just doing lots of stuff. That will not work, I think. So. Great. I mean, that sounds like a perfect final thought. I was going to ask you for your final thoughts on this episode, but it's kind of you've kind of segued that nicely in there for me. So I think that was a really interesting conversation. And obviously the first, as I mentioned, of a two-part mini-series that we're recording with you, Simon. In the second episode, we're going to focus on more of the individual rather than the organisation. So thank you for joining me today. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening to Giant Talk. And join us next time for the second part of our mini-series.